everybody and welcome to this week's edition of This Woman Can. My guest this week is fluent in several languages. I struggle with just one, maybe a little bit of two. But Jeanette Mayers is a, lang a language acrobat and it's been her life's passion and privilege to apply foreign languages in everyday life as she helps individuals confronted with language barriers to cross over from the quicksand of confusion to the promised land of clarity and comprehension. Hailing from Trinidad and Tobago, Janique has soared through much of the Caribbean, Latin America, Africa and Asia, working primarily in human humanitarian assistance and international development. And with a background in foreign languages, communications, journalism, international relations and diplomacy, she has made a career out of doing what she loves and loving what she does. She's also a newly minted author, having released the book CARICOM, Good Offices, Good Neighbours. And today we talk to her about her career journey and more importantly, her career pivot. So Janique, welcome to This Woman Can. Thank you, Janice. Great to be here chatting with you. Thank you. So great to have you with us. So Janique, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? So in a nutshell, uh, I'd go back to high school and I'd say that, because uh, that's a critical period for just about everyone. You know, you've got that, uh, particularly in the Caribbean, um, at some point you have to choose subjects and that pretty much um, dictates your trajectory for the rest of your life. And you get to make this ever important choice at around the age of 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so at that age, not really knowing very much and being led by sort of the career guidance counselors and so forth, um, I pretty much just went with what I was good at mm. and that was languages. So that was um, what sort of dictated my, my path thereafter. And I found very early on in learning languages at school and then at university that this language thing could really open some doors for me. And so I, I, I almost became obsessed with, with languages. Of course, English being my native tongue mm -hmm. and having learned French and Spanish at high school, that's what was offered at the time. But then I had the opportunity in, in university um, to interact with uh, Creole speakers, Portuguese speakers, speakers of other languages. And that was one of the, I would say, you know, you spoke about pivotal moments yes. at the University of the West Indies in St. Augustine, while I had not left my country, I was being exposed to persons who were speaking other languages. And I felt like this really is uh, an eye opener, could open some doors right within the Caribbean region. And so at that point, I also thought, okay, I, I need to learn some other languages mm -hmm. while sort of focusing and, and mastering uh, the, the languages of the region, primarily English, Spanish, and French. Um, I would stick a pin in there just to say that between high school and university, because most people tend to go straight on to university, yeah. I had the opportunity in between to take a break and actually start working. So I started working at, at age um, 17 right. in the field of journalism. I was a trainee journalist. And that was really an instrumental moment because one, I, I couldn't afford to go to university. Um, <laughs> Most of my, my classmates had got scholarships. They went abroad to the US or the UK uh, on scholarships to study. And I literally was left, left behind, left alone. Um, 
not quite knowing what to do. And at the same time, this job opportunity came up. It was uh, like an incubator for journalists uh, led by Dale Kohler-Singh and Ed Fung at the time of, of AVM fame. I'm talking about the 1990s here. But that was a really important moment for me because I was exposed to the world of work. Mm. And, and through none other than journalism, which really is an eye-opener for a 17-year-old. And in the midst of that experience, there was one defining moment where there was a trade mission from Martinique that came to okay. Trinidad and Tobago. And I had the opportunity to meet with them. And when I spoke with them in French, literally their jaws dropped because they were not expecting in this room that there'd be anyone uh, who could speak to them in French outside of their, their group. And so there was a young <laughs> trainee journalist speaking to them in French and interviewing these um, executives. And again, I, I realized in that moment that language opens doors. Language can open so many opportunities. And so I, I stayed in touch with them, went on to university, went on to exchange programs that were afforded by the University of the West Indies. And when I finally set foot into a French-speaking country for the first time, it was as if I had come home. That's how I felt. Right, right. Because I had been living, you know, dreaming, breathing French even before I stepped foot into Martinique. That was my, my very first stop. And so when I say that it's been my life's passion of doing what I love and loving what I do, that has been the case all around, whether it is in the studies, you know, my academic pursuits or work or writing or whatever have you. I literally have had that privilege to do what I love, love what I do, and, and that this has been able to afford me a living. Fabulous, fabulous. And that's taken you into di di diplomatic fields, if I remember from your, from your bio, but you've recently done a career transition or career pivot. So could you tell us a little bit about what your reinvention entails and what it's all about and what prompted that? So I would say that pretty much every year, Janice, I reinvent myself. <laughs> and I think it's, it's a function of my personality, but also, let me just put it frankly, I've, I've tried just about every job that was open right. to me. And I found that very quickly, either I got bored, and so I could not just stay with a job because it paid the bills, I had to have something more. And the other thing that happened too is, again, because of my nature, I tend to be very frank, uh, very outspoken. And I call a spade a spade. Yeah. You know about that. <laughs> you know something about that. And when you're in an organization, regardless of the organization, people with this kind of character personality are not always well appreciated. Yeah. And so I kept getting into trouble in the sense of wanting to, wanting to be the change that I wanted to see in the organizations where I was. Because if something was going wrong, I felt, okay, if we identify a problem, let's, let's identify the solution. That's not always very welcome. And so um, got into trouble a few times and I just opted to leave uh, most of the time. Until last year, uh, again, performing in a very fulfilling role. I was working in, in Zimbabwe, um, enjoying the job, 
but circumstances being what they were and, and several personal circumstances let's put it that way i felt that i i had to leave and just come right back home in the midst of the covid pandemic so my pivot so to speak took place on different levels right. I, i physically left uh africa to come back to the caribbean yeah. trinidad and tobago's borders are still closed so yeah. you know deciding to come home in the midst of a pandemic with closed borders having to navigate uh travel exemptions etc etc mm. five or six pcr tests along the way <laughs> very expensive too um well luckily most of them were free but it was probably you know looking from a logical rational perspective it might not have been the best time to make that decision to leave the job leave a continent come back home with no set plan um but literally along the journey along the physical journey because it took me 3 months to get home since the borders were closed and i was waiting to to get word on when could i come back and i was kind of island hopping in between um trying to get nearer to trinidad and that that physical journey gave me the time to think about what happens next and while island hopping and sort of reconnecting with with persons that i knew places where i had lived before uh, friends who opened up their doors to me to 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 come spend time with them until i could figure my way out back home i realized that my side hustle uh for many years which was interpreting um i had trained as an interpreter and i worked maybe 10 days a year as an interpreter back in the days and i realized like look this side hustle thing this is a talent this is a skill this can be my my main my main stay and so i started putting things in place before i got home to be able to activate a business in interpreting which is where interpreting your needs was born and so by the time i got back to to tobago to and tobago um you know i was able to reconnect with former clients uh, let everybody know hey i'm back in town yeah. and i have to say um in the context of covid-19 i have to be thankful because covid-19 having pushed companies to go online um the technologies available for interpreting also went online in a big way and so whereas before when i did function as an interpreter i would have to hop on a plane and go somewhere that was enjoyable too but in this new scenario i could work from home from from the comfort of of my little office yes, yes. uh using the technology that's available online and there's so many um multilingual um meeting platforms now that i can work online work with colleagues remotely who are in other countries for clients who are in other countries mm. and and you know do what i love spend time with my dogs <laughs> and pay the bills at the same time mm. so that's that essentially has been my my transition okay. um coming back home and and establishing myself fully as a ceo of interpreting your needs Now that I give you some you were probably semi just taking some notes because I didn't want to miss some of the points you had raised and I just wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper in those. Now the one thing you said about you get that you get into trouble, you know, by being a bit big being strong. Now for me that's an assertive woman and that's all good in my in my in my book. So in those scenarios because I I think there's a lot of women are probably facing that as well and I did a whole piece not so long ago about, you know, assertion versus aggression because people misconstrue the yes. two. 
So when you're coming, when you're being assertive or um, you're being, I suppose, being getting the pushback because you're being assertive, how do you handle that? So this is a, a wonderful Pandora's box that you've opened up. Um, and I have learned, also I've learned so much about myself along the way, but also, inter, you know, uh, interpersonal skills. Yeah. And what I found really useful, and, and I, and of course, I'm being very cheeky when I say I got into trouble. Most times what happened is I detected the trouble that was there and it just, it, you know, I exposed it. Yeah. But whereas I'm the kind of person who has no trouble with dealing with problems head on, yes. a lot of people tend to just want to ignore it, pretend that it's not there yeah. and, and yes. move on along. So, uh, you know, I say it being very cheeky. But what I have found useful, um, particularly as a manager, supervising persons, and in some instances, supervising persons who were older than I was, um, who might have been um, definitely more senior in the organization than I was, because most of the time, of course, if I leave after a year, you know, I never stay long enough to become <laughs> senior in the hierarchy. Um, but I found it really useful to engage directly with the persons who I, I had difficulties with. Um, and I hasten to say that in the Caribbean, I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but, you know, these corridor conversations... They don't work out here. <laughs> That's what I found. Um, that quickly turns into gossip. It quickly turns into what we call in now we call mauvais langue. That's from the French to mauvaise langue, you know, bad tongue. And, and that's not constructive. But it seems to be the norm. And, and so what I found very useful was to really, you know, chat one-on-one -on -one with the persons who I had identified a problem with before I even go, let's say, to the level of the, the, the directorate to point out that, hey, there's an issue that I'm having trouble with and I can't, I can't navigate it on my own. I need some, some help. Yeah. I really prefer to deal one on one with people. And again, maybe people aren't used to having that one-on-one -on -one discussion. Because it really takes looking somebody straight in the eyes and telling them something that they don't want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and... and it also takes humility yeah. to put yourself in a position where having said these things, yeah. you also have to listen yeah. to the reaction that's going to come at you. Very much, very much. It's, it's like kicking the proverbial ant's nest or the bachak nest. And you know how those ants run crazy when you kick it. So, you know, that's been pretty much my life. And I have been through several mediation processes because after I engage one-on-one -on -one with person, if that doesn't work, I'm also not the type to back down. And that could be, you know, it could be a, a strength of character. It could, it could be a character flaw, however you want to look at it. But because I don't back down, it means that once I've engaged that process, I'm going to go jusqu'au bout, uh, uh, right, right to the end. Right. Uh, so if that means escalating it to mediation or to whatever formal complaint or dealing with, uh, you know, staff members who might be unionized or whatever, I'm prepared to go the full length because I'm also the kind of person who thinks like, if I can't bring change and if I can't live with what's happening in my environment, then it's up to me to exit. Right. So I will first try to bring the change. Yeah. And if, you know, that doesn't come along, then 
I'm not going to stick around. And, um, and that's fine. That's, that's fine. Um, so there's, you know, the whole mediation. Uh, and of course, that looks different depending on the organization. Some organizations have a very formal uh, mediation process. Um, because I worked with international organizations, there are many different layers. You might have like a local layer. You may have a regional layer to that mediation process. And then you may have to go all the way to headquarters. And the headquarters are somewhere usually in Geneva or <laughs> somewhere in Europe. And, you know, that can cause some destabilization. Right. Uh, and so you have to look at it from not just the individual perspective, mm -hmm. because then mm -hmm. it's a whole organization that's now in, involved in this mediation process. And um, that has, it has taught me diplomacy before I even studied diplomacy. <laughs> Just to transition to another point that you made. So, um, you know, I was studying for a master's in diplomacy after having worked um, to some extent in, in humanitarian diplomacy. Right. So there's a bridge between communications, so um, humanitarian communications, but in contexts where you are dealing with governments, you're dealing with government agencies and international development agencies and so there, there's a fine line between communications and humanitarian diplomacy so that was the the perspective that I was I was looking at it from and having having had a taste of, of humanitarian diplomacy I wanted to really dig a bit deeper into the theory behind it and get get equipped yeah. um, to, to be able to negotiate if needed um, you know, certain situations that were happening, for example, when I worked in Bangladesh, and it's a highly, it's a humanitarian crisis, but it's highly mm -hmm. political because mm -hmm. you're dealing with um, the community, the Rohingya community who fled their home country, Myanmar, uh, fled violence uh, because the violence was being exacted by government um, forces. Mm -hmm. And to another country where they were welcomed, yeah. but, um, you know, the welcome was kind of overstayed. And then you have all of these international agencies and, and foreign sovereign governments trying to tell Bangladesh what right. to do. Yeah. And so yeah. just being in the midst of that context and seeing how it played out um, in, in, in the refugee camps, I really wanted to equip myself to be able to, to negotiate a scenario like that if it became necessary one day. Right. And, and so that led me into the field of diplomacy. But coming back to our region, Caribbean region, and we've just, we're literally on the 4th of July, we just celebrated uh, CARICOM's anniversary. Um, we have such a dynamic region with all of these sovereign states mm. um, playing together in the Caribbean community. And then from time to time, you have some hiccups where yeah. there's a there's a CARICOM position, but then you have some CARICOM member states who, well, they take their own position. Right. And so I was also intrigued by what was happening at home. And this leads me um, just to, to, to flag that that actually was the, the is a topic of my book. It was my dissertation for my for my master's um, thesis, and the dissertation became a book which looks at uh, CARICOM's diplomacy mm -hmm. with regard to the Venezuelan crisis, yet another <laughs> crisis happening in the region. 
So that's kind of the the world tour of yes. diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and how I got into that. And you're right about people not um, wanting to face those difficult conversations. Um, I do a lot. Of, I do a lot around that about you know the fearful and all the reasons they tell themselves as to why they shouldn't have those conversations. So I totally understand there with you. Now the couple of things you said as well was that um, the one thing I'm finding a lot with women now, and you said it was what's next. So there, for what I see is that the COVID, the pandemic, whatever the situation, has allowed a lot of women, some degree, to not maybe not slow down per se if they've got children and family but to be out of the environment where there's a constant onslaught of what they're thinking about their career about, about their thoughts and they look at their career and they say is this it what's next so i really like the fact that you picked up on that as well and then lastly the other thing can you describe to me i think you said it was that you saw this whole situation as an opportunity. That's what I heard. That's what, at least that's what I heard. So what made you realize there was an opportunity in this whole pandemic when maybe a lot of people are going, oh, woe is me and everything's falling, chicken licking and the whole, the whole sky is falling. <laughs> and Janice, you know, I, I acknowledge, let me start by acknowledging that this pandemic has been rough and tumble for a lot of people. I mean, people yes. have, have lost loved ones, have lost jobs, have lost their homes, have lost so much. And I, I want to acknowledge that. I, I know a few people, not in my close circle, but you know, who passed on um, during the pandemic. That being said, um, one thing is that I don't like to say I had no choice because we always have a choice. Yes, yes. Uh, at the time when I was preparing to leave Zimbabwe, I felt that this was the only choice that I could make. It seemed completely irrational, you know, to my parents and mm, as always. <laughs> yeah. Why am I leaving a you know a stable job in in a country that yeah. I like doing what I like? Why am I leaving all of that behind to come home to do what? Not and because I had no plan at the time. That sounded crazy, you know. Um, but in the back of my mind, I just said like you know something is gonna work out. Now, I, I identify as Christian, I believe in God. And so I do have this cushion of faith that I sit on that, you know, sometimes um, it makes me, <laughs> makes me lose touch with, with the, the visible reality around me. Right. Uh, because I, I, I see further, I, I see more, mm-hmm. uh, and I see within. Right. And, and sometimes that does not really line up with what's happening in the environment. And so I came home uh, to, yes, a very chaotic environment. Everything on the outside looked like, as you said, the sky was falling. But on the inside, I felt, wow, there is so much I can do. Uh, I had started doing my research about, you know, the online technologies available for interpreting. I started doing some some brief courses and this is in the midst of writing my dissertation for the masters which which had become irrelevant in my in my life you know in the scheme of choices that i was making but i was doing these online courses um getting trained up and using some of these remote uh what we call remote simultaneous interpreting rsi platforms um and i was you know already getting feelers for for former clients and so i started 
in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of, you know, not knowing what was going on in Switzerland, yeah. I started just building a, a brand, um, to, to put it nicely. Uh, and then the name, you know, Interpreting Your Needs sort of solidified it that it's not just about interpreting services or translation with the foreign languages, but it is on a deeper level interpreting the needs of my clients yeah. uh, and finding the appropriate solutions to their needs. And that could be a range of things. Um, so, so that was, that was really critical. And, and then by the time I came home, uh, because of the scenario here in Trinidad and Tobago with yeah. a huge influx of Venezuelan migrants coming in right. and, and people, well, agencies, I should say, finally being a lot more sensitive to the fact that uh, our population, our local population is essentially English speaking and, and yeah. not a lot of people had taken the opportunity yeah. to pursue foreign languages. Although Spanish has been uh, mandatory in our, in our education system for years, but most people, you know, they learn Spanish up in high school and then they, they drop it like a hot potato because they never had the opportunities right. to, to make it make yeah. sense. Yeah. And so I came home at a time where there was this greater um, sensitivity and awareness of the need wow. for foreign languages to be able to communicate at least with the migrant population that we're hosting in Trinidad and Tobago. But also because of this, this humanitarian crisis happening here at home, yeah. you had uh, other international agencies coming in so to respond to this crisis, to right. support the government with this crisis. And with that international layer, again, a sort of recognition, if you like, that um, languages bridge barriers. And, right. and so there is now, if you look at, you know, I'm not looking for jobs anymore, uh, but when I do see job announcements, um, pretty much they're all asking for uh, bilingual English, Spanish, and French is, a, is an asset. So that has, that has changed even recruitment in, in right. the country. Right. And uh, so I, I, I just I highlight that to, to explain to you the context that has changed locally. There is a much greater awareness for the role of foreign languages and how they can be used in business, in development, in policy, in diplomacy, in integration, you know, even CARICOM yeah. integration, because Haiti is a member of CARICOM. Haiti yeah. is French speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And so whenever CARICOM meets, there's got to be interpreters there. You know, I've interpreted for a few CARICOM meetings. And so that there, there really is this sort of burgeoning um, sense of opportunity for persons who have embraced foreign languages. Excellent, excellent. So we talked about you pivoting and changing career. What do you think has been the most challenging aspect of making that change? Well, for me, hands down, it's um, structure. Okay. <laughs> I tend to be, you know, more of the, the creative, go with the flow type. Yeah. Uh, you know, not not a heavy planner. Although, you know, in previous, I would say, in previous incarnations and in previous jobs, I have had to, you know, be a very strict planner. Yeah. And I guess I part of of reinventing myself was that I wanted to leave certain aspects of the job, those previous jobs behind that I didn't necessarily like. 
But now I have to re-embrace them because as a CEO, yeah. um, you have to do everything, as you know, Janice. So you're, I'm not just the interpreter, I'm not just the translator. I am the salesperson, I am the, uh, you know, the accountant, I am, well, not the lawyer, but, you know, I get advice for that, but I'm, I'm the chief cook and bottle washer, uh, enjoying it, but it does mean that I have had to um, be more rigorous with myself okay. and, and put structures and systems in place to be able to manage a, a business, because this is, you know, this is not, uh, it's not a not-for-profit yeah. So that's that's been the most difficult part for me. But thankfully, again, in, in the environment that we're evolving in uh, with virtual assistance mm. and, you know, remote remote assistance, uh, you can pretty much find all the services that you need yeah. for your business yeah. online. Uh, and there's, there are wonderful communities like LinkedIn, where I met you for the yeah. first time. Uh, where, you know, there's great networking that's going on. And so we can identify uh, persons who can provide skills that I need that I just don't know how to do or just don't care to do. Yeah. Uh, it's fairly easy to to identify those those resources and uh, and hire them as needed. Yeah, yeah. And the and the good thing about that, I think, the, what I'm hearing from from you saying there is that it's knowing it's knowing when to ask for the help you need. Because so many of us go through having to be this strong woman persona type that we have to do it all. We can do everything with superwoman that we're hesitant to ask or recognize that actually somebody can do it better. Much better. Much better. (laughs) And if we really look at it, you know, is my time spending all my time trying to decide this one little bit, you know, my time is expensive. Is it worth is it is it worth being spent doing that one particular aspect when somebody can do it much quicker and better than me, you know? So it's it's ha- it's having the it's having the confidence in yourself to know when you need to ask for the help you need. And I think that's absolutely. A, I think that's a big. I couldn't thing. put it any better. That's <laughs> that's so true. No, but it's it's so true. And you, I think it's a skill you have to have when you yes. when you enter into entrepreneurship. Because you can't do it all. You really can't. Or you do it, or you do some of it poorly, and then it affects your brand. So, you know, the wise decision is to surround yourself with even wiser people who who are experts in their field and who can get the job done. Yeah. Because, yeah, and that always, because I always say that a good leader knows the questions to ask, a great leader knows who to ask, because you don't have to do it all yourself. Mm. So that's the kind of that's been a bit of a mantra that's got me through my career. But Janet, share with us a success quote or a mantra that's been that you use and it's that been meaningful to you and why. Well, one I'd say success is what you know how you define it. But the quote that defines my business really it's attributed to Nelson Mandela, and he said. When you speak to a man in a language he understands, it goes to his head. But if you speak to a man in a language, in his own language, it goes to his heart. And that is something that I've experienced time and time and time again. So, yes, my my business is based on offering language services. Mm -hmm. But quite apart from my business, I have been able to connect with people across the globe in the strangest of circumstances, quite sincerely, just because I speak their language. And sometimes 
it's not even that I master their language. Uh, you know, I was living in Zimbabwe. I picked up a few words here and there. I don't speak the language. I just know a few words. And, you know, I would almost as mocking myself, I would just say those few words on any occasion. I don't know what the person is telling me. I can't understand what they're saying to me, but I'm going to smile at them and say, Mangwanani, shop, shop. And they just, you know, they burst forth just, just smiling because what I said makes no sense at all, but it's their language. Yeah. <laughs> it's irrelevant to the scenario, but I'm a foreigner who is able to speak a few of their words and, and they take that as a, a sign of respect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that immediately breaks barriers. Yeah. So if you're going to the market, you go shopping, you know, trying to negotiate with street vendors or whatever have you. Though most of them speak English. Most yeah. they're highly in the case of Zimbabwe, they're a highly educated population. Mostly everyone speaks English. Um, but when you engage with them in their language, yeah. it, it, it there's a shift in the atmosphere. It it becomes it's it's a to totally different conversation. Yeah. And that is the thing that I, I absolutely love, that I can land in a place where I do not speak the language of the country, of the people. Uh, I might pick up a few little words, um, and, but I'm able to engage and, and build that, that bridge of trust right. um, that they, they treat me and they treat with me very differently. Yeah. And, and from that... And that's, what <laughs> that's what success looks like. Yes, and, and, but the fact is, the reason why people are so receptive is that, yes, you don't know the language, but you've taken time to try you know, and you haven't, and too many times we see people, I, I, in, you're in a tourist country, I'm in a tourist country, and so many times, you know, people will go to other countries and expect them to know their language without taking the time to know, hang on, you've come to a foreign country, why haven't you at least attempted, or at least to, to put, a, put a phone translator on your phone to at least yes. try and make that effort, you know, it's a simple, it's a simple things, and like you said, it's that sign of respect that you care enough about us to actually take a genuine interest in, in who in who we are. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. So we're coming down to our last few questions, Unique. So let me ask you, if you could choose your own mentor, who would it be and why? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I have a mentor. Right. I have, matter of fact, I should say I have several mentors, but for different, for different areas of my life. Um, but I think in terms of maybe taking the next step, what, what I see is my next step. Mm -hmm. I've, set, I've set for myself this year a uh, target of going global. Okay. Uh, going global from, from my home. I'm already doing that on a limited um, scale, but I think the mentor who is probably going to be able to really take me there, mm -hmm. <laughs> guide me there, um, is a lady by the name of Marshawn Evans Daniels. She's a faith-based um, coach, she and her husband, and I've done a short course with them already, but I really... I, I, I yearn for a deeper mentorship relationship right. um, because I see her as being someone who walks the talk mm -hmm. and 
she she and her husband uh, and, and they work as a team and that's another area of mentorship that that I that I'm interested in I'm single right. um, children I got dogs but what I what I love about what I know of them as a couple mm-hmm. uh, is how they inspire couples to support each other in business because uh, and I, this is speaking to you I guess you know when one of the couple is an is an entrepreneur the whole couple is an entrepreneur you know there yeah. has to be a support yeah. base. in our family and, right now we're both entrepreneurs now since I transitioned out of corporate we're both entrepreneurs so we have to be able to support each other and I hear what you're saying there so that's for me that's the next step it's actually um, preparing myself for the next stage of my personal life right but recognizing that the relationship foundation has to be solid in right. order for the business yeah. to work yeah yeah you know so yeah. so yeah that's the next next step for me I would say Very true thank you I love that I love that and what are the three things do you think you've learned about yourself during your career I have learned what elastic means. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I have I have been forced to stretch uh, myself beyond what I thought possible, and I say it with a huge smile because I think I'm already a fairly flexible person who takes you know calculated risks. Yeah. But I have learned, and particularly over the last year, how elastic I am, how how flexible I am to be able to literally roll, you know, take the punches, yeah. roll. <laughs> As we say, you know, in the Caribbean is uh, drop, drop cover roll. Drop, roll. Drop, so drop cover hold on. <laughs> drop cover hold on, because we've got so many natural disasters in our region. Yes. Uh, not too many in Trinidad and Tobago, but that is something that is is real for me uh, in in the business journey. Just being able to to roll with it. Um, another thing to um, I've, I've rediscovered, I would say, uh, that it's 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 a good thing to be led by your heart and by your instinct. Uh, sometimes we attempt to make rational decisions. Yeah when actually what's being called for it's 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 a heart and an instinct decision and you know at, at different stages of my career i was doubting my instincts yes um i was doubting my the state of my heart on certain matters but now i feel like you know my mind has to be in harmony with my heart for the decision to be right, right. and not the other way around yes yeah. So that's uh, and I think that ties into confidence in the sense that if you're confident in the experiences that you've had and you're confident that you've learned the lessons from the worst of those experiences, yeah. then that confidence can pretty much steer you in the right direction when you have difficult decisions to make. So that's that's what I've learned essentially. Fabulous. Now I'm going to ask this next question. In my mind, I I think I know the answer, but I'm not going to say it. So where would we typically, where would we find you on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m.? In the garden. (laughs) (laughs) In my garden. Whether it's raining, whether it's sunny, 
um, that is that's my therapy. Uh, and now that I have the privilege of working from home, if I want to go to the garden at yeah. Monday morning at eight o'clock or six yeah. o'clock, yeah, that's where I'll be as well. Yeah. But uh, I try to reserve my one day of the weekend, either Saturday or Sunday, for the whole day, the whole day. Right. Right. Just right. weeding and talking to the plants and yeah. you know, yeah, picking yeah. fruits and that's it. Has, has that been a good one? No, exactly what I thought it was. So having followed you on LinkedIn, it's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> but has that been um, a newfound thing as a result of the pandemic? Or has that been something you were always interested in? So it's actually it's actually a generational thing on okay. both sides of my family. Um, the women have have always uh, nurtured their gardens, and for me, it, it manifested now because I actually have a stable home um, because I've been traveling for so many years for work and living in apartments or hotels yeah. or in tents. I never had a garden. Mm. I never had a fixed, a fixed home um, until I, I moved back home. Yeah. Um, last year and so home really became my all as in i i, I took possession of the yeah. place the garden the, the the whole property and that's where the the generational talent has has come out and i'm so happy that i have the time and i have the space to do it yeah yeah i call it i must admit i i even though i dabbled with gardening over the years and even as a child my mom would garden by proxy where she'd make us do all the weeding and dict and you know and kind of direct us where we need to be <laughs> But um, over the past, now I've had the time, I've really, it's my happy place. I have to say it's the place I'm happiest. And every morning, pretty much without fail, you'll find me in there. I give myself a cutoff time that I have to start work. So, Janique, if there was one piece of advice you could share with women who are considering reinventing their careers, transitioning, pivoting, whatever you wish to call it, what would that be? So granted, we're all very different. And I know people look first at their circumstances, particularly women, you know, if you're married, if you have children, that's a completely different scenario than someone like me who's, you know, on my own. But I think one piece of advice that would speak to any woman is really to follow her instinct. Mm -hmm. I, I truly believe that was a special gift that God gave to us women that instinct and i would say follow it excellent thank you so much for that thank you so much so that was really i suppose really my final question apart from this last question janique it's been great talking to you if people want to get to know more about what you do or connect with you how can they do that so so i quite like the linkedin platform and that's where i am most active uh, so it's easy to just reach out to me there by direct message or just send me a connection request um you can also reach out through my website interpretingyourneeds.com and that's pretty much it i mean i have all the other paraphernalia but i'm most faithful on 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 linkedin i think it's it's an excellent platform for yeah. interaction and networking. And uh, I've, I've met so many wonderful people there. So I'm looking forward to meeting new connections. Um, some of your followers who are listening to this uh, today, uh, looking forward to connecting with you. Thank you. So Janique, that was my last question. 
Thank you so much for joining me on This Woman Can this week. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, I really enjoy you know, following your content on, on, on LinkedIn and hearing what's, what's going on. It's, um, I, you know, I, I have nothing but praise for, <laughs> for that platform. Um, I just, I find it, yeah, it's, it's been the place that I've yeah. really, cause I live in a very isolated area. There's no human beings around me right. for two kilometers. Yeah. And where I meet people, that's where I see yes. people, yes. you know, yes. it's yes. there or nowhere. <laughs> so I always look out for you there. Excellent. And I'll be sure to put all the links in the show notes if people can connect with you themselves as well. Thank so you. Once again. Appreciate that. Hey, Janice here. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation I had with Janine Mayers and how she managed to turn what was a hobby and a talent of hers into a full-blown business, turn that side hustle she was doing as a short-term thing, making a little extra money on the side into her full-blown organization. Now, if that's something you look like, that sounds like something you'd want to do, we've got hidden talents, or you want to explore, you know, what next, what's next for you in your career, and how do you take that next step? then I invite you to come along to my upcoming webinar. Um, if you're listening to this in real time, it takes place on the 6th of October and I will be holding um, a masterclass, a webinar, call it what you may, the, the six secrets of a successful mid-career transition. And in that, I will take you through, explore what stage of career you are at the moment, uh, some actions you can take to have a uh, to move your career forward, what the secrets are to my own career journey and how I've helped other women navigate their mid-career transition. So it's free of charge. Um, it's best time you'll spend. So just head over to my website, JaniceSutherland.com um, to find out more information and to register and secure your spot. And I really can't wait to see you there. Take care. And remember, if I can, you can, this woman can. Take care until next time.